6, 30 through 44. While you're finding that, let me just say it was indeed a joy and a blessing and a delight to uh, be able to baptize my granddaughter last week, Sunday evening at Bethel uh, United Reformed Church, uh, but it is good to be back here once again uh, in uh, this pulpit and uh, amongst you as uh, the people of this flock. And let me also just say thanks for singing out this morning. Uh, that was missed last Sunday night, so thank you again. Mark chapter 6. We read God's breathed out words, starting at verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. He had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. The hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? He said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. As far as the reading of God's word, I invite you to keep the passage open so that we can refer back to it as we go through this passage. Let's bow in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come and worship here today. We ask that you'll be with us as we worship you. We thank you for this portion of Scripture where Jesus challenges the disciples to feed these people. And after they have witnessed so many miracles, they're bewildered as what to do. I ask that you'll be with Pastor Bob as he explains this portion of Scripture to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the commentators uh, upon this passage writes about how many details are included in this selection. And there are. There is a lot of detail. 
The story could have been told without the details, but the details are included. And it got me to thinking about the Bible studies that we currently have going on and how many of them have to do or where we're at presently in the various selections of, of dealing with details. In our Wednesday morning group, we're dealing with the construction of the temple. And uh, there's a lot of facts, there's a lot of figures, there's a lot of information given to us, all of which is very, very detailed information. Wednesday nights were in Ezra and Nehemiah, and as you page through those books, you'll, you'll find there's an incredible amount of detail. There's all sorts of genealogical lists. There's all sorts of information and numbers and counting and weighing out of things. Uh, we, we finished a few weeks ago the chapter in Nehemiah, which lists where exactly on the wall each particular person worked and how far they went, all details. In our Thursday morning group, we're in a passage now in the book of Judges that is filled with a lot of details about numbers. Who's going to war? Who's being called out? How many are killed? How many are left? All sorts of details. And those are important. And one wonders how good we are at knowing the details. How involved are we in a study of God's word where we're paying attention to the details that God gives to us. Because those details are as much the word of God as for God so loved the world that he gave us his only son. Those details God wants us to know. Those details are important. And so are they in this selection as well. And so first of all, let's look at as we go through this and we think about this in terms of the details we are given here about the problem that is encountered. Secondly, the provision that is given. And then thirdly, the purpose understood. What really is this passage about? So the problem, the provision, and the purpose. First of all, as we think about the problem, we, we have to deal with the place. How many times in this passage are we not told this little detail? This place is desolate. Go to a desolate place. They want to go to a desolate place. This is a desolate place. The word desolate could well be translated as wilderness. We are somewhere in the vicinity of a town called Bethsaida. It is located where the Jordan empties into the Sea of Galilee. We are told they are going there to, as it were, sort of get away for a while. Verse 31, these are Jesus' words. Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. What had just happened? Jesus had sent out the disciples in previously on that outing. We might refer to it as a missionary tour. I'm not sure that's the term I would use to describe it. But he sent them out. They've gone out, preached repentance. They've demonstrated the power of Christ in the miracles they've performed. And now they've come back. 
And they're a little worn out. They're a little exhausted. And the crowds keep coming. And the crowds keep coming. And there's responsibilities that these disciples have. And Jesus says, come, let's go apart to a desolate place. A place where we can be alone. A place where we can be rested. Desolate spot. Keep that in the back of your mind. Secondly, note the people. What are we told? Well, we're told, verse 44, the detail that there were 5,000 men. The word men there means male. It doesn't mean people. It doesn't mean humankind. So in other words, this is the feeding of more than 5,000. It's, 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 it's not a correct title that it's the feeding of the 5,000. There's 5,000 men, males, not including children, those who would be under 12 years of age, nor does it include women, wives who perhaps are coming along, or widows who are there, little girls who are there. So you, you add it all together and you go, well, 5,000 is probably the smaller end of this. There might have well been 10, 15,000 people here. But we are given the detail, 5,000 men. But notice the people. Jesus and the disciples get into the boat. They're going off to this desolate place. They're, they're kind of cutting the corner, as it were, in the upper portion of the Sea of Galilee. They don't need to go way out into the sea. They, they're only just cutting along the shore, but people see them. They see, hey, Jesus and his disciples are out there in the boat. They're headed this direction. Let's go follow them. And look at what we are told. They ran. Now, if indeed the spot from that we're dealing with here is the area around Bethsaida, which we are told in other gospel accounts, so it's not just guessing, it's about eight miles from Capernaum. So the disciples are setting sail and going with the boat. It, by boat, it's four, but by running, it's eight. These people run eight miles. And they get there ahead of Jesus. Imagine this crowd, 5,000 men plus women and children. Probably looks sort of like the start of the riverbank run downtown Grand Rapids, right? Here's this mass of people, and they're all running. That's what we're told. They are eager to get there. They do not want to leave Jesus alone. They are seeking Jesus. So much so that they are running eight miles to get there. The effort that these people are willing to put forth to be in the presence of Jesus. Then we read that Jesus taught. So they sit there and they listen. They run their eight miles all so that they might hear Jesus speak to them. Their eagerness, their joy, their delight in listening to this rabbi. So eager, so quick, so unexpected, 
that nobody took fully. Do not miss the details that Jesus knew exactly where they were going. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew exactly the fact that they don't have food. The third thing to note is the time. We are told that the disciples uncover the problem. It's getting late. Nobody has any food. Jesus, you better disperse the crowd now so they can get back those eight miles back to their towns, back to their villages, back to their home in order to get some food before it turns dark. We learn from the John passage, John chapter 6, that this event is happening near the time of Passover, not an unimportant detail. The fact that it's Passover means that the sun is setting because God is consistent in the way he governs the universe. It's setting around 6 p.m. Meaning that this passage is probably taking place then somewhere around 4 o'clock in the afternoon. It's getting late. In other words, there is precious little time left for these people to be able to get themselves back home before it's dark. It's getting late. Matthew 14, 15 tells us it's evening. Luke 9 says the day was wearing away and the disciples are agitated. They're agitated. The way in which they come to Jesus, okay, indicates the fact that this is not some meek, humble request, okay, that they're coming to Jesus demanding, Jesus, you need to send these people away. You must do this. They need food. Notice how Jesus responds, 37. You give them something to eat. And then their response. <laughs> We're supposed to spend 200 denarii to do this? Oh, they're an agitated group here. Oftentimes, is it not true that we in, when we encounter problems in life, we encounter them with a certain degree of agitation? Whether it's trying to get that spark plug out of the engine that's down under and around and you can't quite fit the wrench where it needs to go and your hands are too big to fit up in there and then it's like you can't move the wrench. Or whether you're trying to move your vehicle out of your garage only you forgot, you're late for the appointment and you open the garage door and there's that pile of snow sitting there and you're agitated because you've come up with a problem. Think of how we respond. No different than these disciples when a problem occurs. Agitated. Even being disrespectful to Jesus. How many times have we not, like Israelites in the desert, turned to the Lord with a certain degree of agitation? 
Now what do you do? Why are you bringing this into my life? Why this problem? There's a problem in Jonah. But notice, secondly, the provision that is given. Jesus told them, go and find something. They do. According to one of the other gospel accounts, it's a little boy's lunch. That's all they got. One little kid thought of bringing his lunch. He's got five small little barley loaves, probably something no bigger than this size, and a couple of little sardines. That's what he's got. One kid had his lunch. Now, it, it, it leaves you with, a, with an interesting question, doesn't it? What was he thinking that morning? You know, when he got up that morning, what made him decide? Yeah, I'm going to take my brown bag, put a few things in. Maybe he's a kid who gets hungry a lot. Maybe he's somebody who needs to eat on a regular basis. Maybe he has some medical issues himself. And he needs to eat regularly. We don't know. But he appears, as we look through the other Gospels, this is the only food in this desolate place. There is nothing else. They've asked. They've gone through the crowd. Has anybody got anything we can use? Anybody got anything? One little boy. Here's my lunch. Five loaves and two fish. But you see, this leads, does it not? This leads to Jesus' miracle. Verse 39. Then he commanded them to all sit down in groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish. Notice the detail. He looked up to heaven set a blessing, and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. Now, this is one that, that I've thought about oftentimes and, and just thought, so how did this work? How did this happen? If, if I'm sitting there on the hillside or I'm one of the disciples, we got five little loaves, two fish. How, how does this happen? Does Jesus put a little bread in some baskets and when the disciples turn and walk away, it's like, hey, now the baskets are full. Actually, the text answers the question. Because in the Greek we are told, he continually gave. So he's just breaking and breaking and breaking and breaking and breaking. He's just taking fish and dividing and dividing and dividing and dividing and dividing and dividing. And he is filling the baskets. He is filling the hunger of all those who are gathered. Because note what we have been told. He had compassion. On them. Nine times the New Testament uses this word, compassion. The idea of having a, a tenderness in one's gut. 
mercy. It's not an intellectual mercy. It's somebody who has been moved in their gut, their emotions. Jesus is emotionally moved as he looks at this great crowd of people who have run these eight miles, come to hear, to listen. Knowing that these people are without a shepherd. And out of his compassion, he brings them the word. And now out of his compassion, he is moved to fill their stomachs. Gracious, gracious, gracious God. Over and over and over and over and over and over again. Over and over again. And we are told that the crowd is satisfied. Verse 42. And they all ate. All ate. Nobody went without. Nobody in this crowd of 5,000 plus goes without any food. Everybody gets something. But not only do they get something, they are satisfied. And that satisfaction, that word, is pretty important. Because it doesn't mean they each got a little morsel. It doesn't mean they each got a couple of bites. The word satisfied here, kotadzo, means to fatten. It's what you do to cattle. You'd fatten the cattle. You'd satisfy them. It means to gorge. It means to supply food in abundance. This is not stinginess. This is not, eh, I'll just give you a little bit. I'll just give you that which you need for the sustenance for today. No, we're dealing with swelled bellies here, folks. They are satisfied. They are full. They are so filled, it's that feeling we get when we go, I can't eat another bite. That's what's happening here. This is what Jesus is doing for each individual that is there. He is giving until they are fully satisfied. Nobody's going, man, I just wish I had another little piece. Nobody's going, can I have another piece of that sardine? were satisfied. So much so that look what happens in verse 43. There are leftovers. A little leftover? No, there's 12 baskets. Detailed. There's not just some leftovers. There's not just baskets. There are 12 baskets. There were 12 men who stood before Jesus unable to figure out what to do. There were 12 men standing before Jesus, agitated at what Jesus was doing. 
There were 12 men who stood before Jesus, having witnessed all of these miracles, having they themselves gone out in the power of Jesus Christ. They themselves have performed miracles, and they're still standing before Jesus, mystified by what can be done and agitated over the situation. Twelve baskets. It would not be too far to imagine that each disciple is sitting there with his basket full, looking at it. Guess the problem wasn't really a problem. Looked more like an opportunity. I got my own basket full here to remind me that this wasn't Peter, this wasn't James, this wasn't John. This was me. I question what Jesus is doing. In fact, what makes this interesting is that this picking up of the baskets, if you look at John 6, I think it's verse 12, Jesus commands it. It's almost like the disciples are going to let this go. <laughs> okay, everybody's happy, everybody's got their food. Good, 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 let's move on. And Jesus says, no, 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 not so fast, guys, hold on. You go back and you collect leftovers. You need to see. With your own eyes, your own baskets, that which has been provided. So where do we go with this? What's going on here? What, what is this passage about? Three things that come to my mind. One. We are definitely here making a connection to the past. This is a passage in which Jesus is identifying himself with Moses. The whole scene, the whole scene. They're in a, what kind of place? What was it again? Somebody, say it. Desolate. A desolate is a wilderness. Where are the people of Israel after they leave Egypt? They're in the wilderness with Moses as their leader. What are they? They're agitated. We have nothing to eat. It's like 12 disciples. Oh, 12 tribes. With all these people divided in their company, in their spot. You go back into the account in uh, Numbers and you read. Okay, chapter after chapter, and the tribe of Judah camped here, and the tribe of Benjamin camped here. Details, details, details. Jesus is doing what? You sit here, you sit here, you sit here. We sit in these organized groups, just like if you're in the wilderness and you're looking down on the people of Israel, you see them in an organized pattern. Jesus is connecting back to this Old Testament passage. And what happens? Jesus supplies with what? Bread, manna, and fish. Quail. Do you remember what happened when those people 
receive their manna? Everybody ate until they were satisfied. Do you remember how it happened? God told them the specific amount they were to collect every day. It wasn't random. It was a detail. This is how much you collect. You take that, you take that home, you eat that, and what happened? Regardless if they were a person who could have eaten gallons of this stuff, they were satisfied with what God supplied. They were satisfied. They were filled with the bread of heaven, manna. Jesus is identifying himself as the one who is going to be the leader of a greater exodus. Not out of the exodus, out of the slavery and bondage of Egypt, but he is the one who is going to lead his people. What was it back in Exodus that motivates God to call Moses to be the leader of the people? I have heard the cry of my people. Their compassion. That gut-wrenching, emotional compassion. I heard my people crying, and now I've appointed you to lead my people. The bread the one who is greater than Moses, Hebrews tells us. So there, one, what's this passage about? It's a connection to the past. And unless you know the past, you don't get the point. Unless you know the details of the past, you don't understand the reason for the details of the present. You just read them and let them go. But there is a second thing. And that's a demonstration for the present. This isn't only about connecting to the past. It's about the present. If you go to this passage in John chapter 6, it's interesting where this story, this event is placed in John. What's happening is in John chapter 6, they are preparing for the feast of unleavened bread that will soon follow upon Passover. Where we go to an upper room, Jesus is going to take bread and give it to them. In John chapter 6, Jesus is going to declare, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of heaven. I am the manna. He who eats of me will be satisfied. See, in the context in which this is happening, this passage is placed with Jesus multiplying this bread and this fish. Jesus feeding this huge, swelling crowd as a picture of the fact that he himself is the bread. And that for each one, comes by faith to Christ, they are fully satisfied with that which God provides. 
Nehemi. He dreaded public speaking. But there is a third thing. There's not only a connection to the past, a, a demonstration for the present, there is a teaching for today as well. And as I was going through and looking at this and praying about it and seeing that this passage fell upon us on the day that we have now ordained office bearers, I think it is appropriate to, to make that connection. Jesus is saying something here. He could have done it without the wine. Right? Agreed? Are we agreed? He could have done it without the lunch. He doesn't need the boy's lunch. It's not like Jesus is like, oh, man, I got nothing to work with here. Hey, you guys, go out, search, would you? Go find something. I, I got to have something to start with. He who created the world out of nothing, he who formed this universe by the word of his mouth, could not he have he just said, let there be bread and there was bread? Could he not have said, let there be fish and there was fish? Could he not just have filled every lap filled with food? Of course he could have. He is Jesus Christ. But he's pleased to make use of a little boy's lunch. Those of you who serve as officers in the Church of Jesus Christ here at Little Farms, whether you're currently in or on sabbatical, he doesn't need any one of you. God doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. to build his kingdom, to bring people to Jesus Christ so that the elect come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He does not need a single one of us. Not one of us is indispensable. But he is pleased to use us. with humility. Serve knowing that the King, the compassionate Lord of the church is pleased to use you in his service. He graciously allows us to participate. Always look to Jesus. See, what should the disciples have done here? Jesus, we have a problem. At least it appears we have a problem. It's getting late in the day and nobody brought any food. But we know you have a plan. We know you have a purpose. We know you have a reason for bringing us to this desolate place. You're the one who told us to park the boat here. 
not in the town. You have a reason. You have a purpose. <laughs> I don't know why we're going through this problem. I don't know why we're having this difficulty, Lord, but we know you are in control. We know you're in charge. This is your church. You love your people. So give us the wisdom. What do you want us to do, Lord? What would you like us to do? You want us to just start passing out baskets because you're going to fill them? What do you want us to do? We're here to serve. We're not here to argue. We're not here to beg. We're not here to command. We're here to serve. That's what an office bearer does. Humbled by the ability to participate in this process. Willing to serve the people. The visits and the discipline and the encouragement and the responsibility. But there is also a message for each of us as a believer, not just office bearers, isn't there? Here's the message. Bring your lunch, but be willing to give it up. Bring your lunch. Imagine how this story goes, huh? Lord, we found a boy. He's got his lunch. There's five loaves, two fish, but he's keeping it for himself. Says, I got to look out for my family first. Got to give some to my mom, some to my dad, and there's got to be some for me. I can't do anything for all these people. Bring your lunch. Pack it. Be prepared. But be willing to give it up. Do you think of the face of this little boy <laughs> as he gave up his lunch? He said, what is my lunch? What are these big guys going to do with my lunch? And there he sits on the green grass where the Savior has brought them. And he's fully satisfied. And he looks around. And so is everybody else. And his lunch never underestimate what Christ can do with your lunch. Father, thank you for your word. What a blessing it is to dive into this portion and to see your hand at work. Father, there may be some who are here today who are hungering and thirsting. They are indeed craving something spiritual. They don't know what it is. But Father, your word has told them this morning, it's the living bread, it's Christ. Father, we pray that by the power of your word and spirit, they might come to know the full satisfaction of Christ. Others, Father, when Christ offers us himself and his word, we find more important things to do rather than being fully set, satisfied in Christ. And we wonder why life just isn't fun. It's not joy-filled. It's filled with all sorts of problems and difficulties. 
Lord, remind us again, it's so often because we have not turned to Christ who fully satisfies. Father, as we think about our responsibility as members, as office bearers, Father, may we each take the gifts, the gifts that you have given to us and realize that with that which you have blessed us with, you are able to do far more than we could ever think. To the glory, to the honor of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray and God's people say, Amen.